when people reach the age of 50, a lot of times they think, oh, it's too late. I can't do that anymore, which is bullshit, you know, or they reach 60 and they think, oh, you know, I can't afford to do that, which is also bullshit. Or they think it's too difficult. Whereas, as you acknowledge, your cell phone is the best travel device ever invented in history because everything is at your fingertips. You know, you've got Ubers and Airbnbs and translation and currency and all those various things like that. But Welcome to Chat with Nomads, where we uncover travel insights, business advice, adventure stories, and lifestyle tips with world travelers and digital nomads. Here is your host, Rax, from nomadsunveiled.com. Hi, guys. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Today, we have with us Norm Bauer from Travel Younger, a travel website that's inspiring the boomer generation to go out and travel the world, almost like millennials. And basically, prove that even people above the age of 50 can live a very adventurous and free lifestyle like the younger generation. So, hey, Norm, welcome to the show. My pleasure, Rex. Honored to be here, man. Yeah, it was, it was great to see you reach out to me because when I saw your website, I was like, this is going to be very interesting. I love talking to a traveler of a different generation because there's always yes. like multiple perspective to it. And, and I think what you bring about, what you're talking about on your website specifically is, it's an important topic to to speak on because I think there is two parts to it, right? One part being that whether the older generation, I guess, as you mentioned, when we had a brief conversation before the recording, you were saying yeah. a lot of the boomers might be afraid to travel because there's all these new things. I know my parents' generation is like my parents themselves are not as proficient in traveling because even sometimes they feel like the tech is now a hindrance, right? Whereas last time you go to a checking counter, you know you have a human-to-human interaction, so you don't need to know the tech. Nowadays, like my mom wants to travel and she's worried like, hey, I go to the airport and I have no idea how to check in because now I need to use <laughs> yeah. that machine, right? And, yeah. and they're not as tech-savvy, right? So that's one part. The other part is more like, I guess a lot of the older generation also tend to go for like a more... Uh, let's call it a luxurious and relaxing travel style. Like maybe you're just going to a resort and then you're spending like oh, your whole time relaxing and stuff. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. But you obviously right. bring about a different perspective saying that, hey, we can still go and discover the culture. And I look at some of the photos, you're almost like a backpacker, like just really diving deep into the culture, into the food, into the history of every place you go to. So a lot of things to talk about. And before we start, let's have you do an introduction of yourself so the audience know uh, where you're coming from. Well, you actually did a really good intro, and thanks again. So I am um, I am a relatively new to the world of travel um, traveler. You know, I'm I'm 68 years old, uh, born in the United States, and my mother was Hungarian. And for years, she said, "I want to take you to Hungary. I want you to see my hometown." And I was like, "Nah, I don't want to travel to Hungary with mom. I was too cool for that, you know." And I have a lot of regrets over that because she's long past. So I traveled extensively throughout the United States. And it wasn't until I was in my mid-40s that I actually traveled overseas. Uh, my ex-wife and I were chaperones for my daughter's trip to Italy, to Rome. And it was all escorted. The Latin teacher who, who, who came with us kind of did everything. And we just followed along and made sure the kids behave and everything. And that's when I st- started to really say, wow, it's really cool over here. History in Europe is so much different, different than history in the United States. Because in the United States, you have a building that's 200, 250 years old. That's an old building, you know, but where, where I am right now in Athens, Greece, that's like, oh, hell, that was that was constructed last week. That's brand new construction. You know, here we have buildings that are 2,000, 4,000, 6,000 years old. So I never really pursued the travel bug. And then in 2013, I got single. Uh, the recession of 2008 in the United States kind of wiped me out. So I had to reinvent myself. So long story short, I had to figure out what the hell I wanted to do with my life now that I was approaching 60 years old. 
And as a consultant and as a, as a writer, I realized that I really was location independent. And a friend of mine, a young millennial, uh, traveled all the time. And I said, so how do you do this? And she said, well, you know, I, I keep my eyes out for travel deals. And whenever I see something looks attractive, I buy it. And then I figure out how I'm going to pay for it and how am I going to get there? And so that's exactly how it happened. Uh, four years ago, and uh, my, my now wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, she and I came to Spain and to Portugal for six weeks. Uh, we were relatively new in our relationship, and we wanted to see how we traveled together. Because when you have a man and a woman traveling together, or even two guys or two girls traveling together, a lot of tension, right? You're together all the time. And so um, we kind of learned that we could travel together, and we said, yeah, let's do this. So we went back to the United States. This is in the fall, exactly right now, this time of year, October of uh, 2018. So it's been four years ago, and we got rid of everything. We, uh, we didn't have any real estate to get rid of, but we got rid of cars, we got rid of furniture, we got rid of clothing. And on November 17th of 2019, she and I hit the road. And uh, what inspired me on our trip was your generation, your generation, Rex, because people my age, they either never traveled before, and now they're scared to death of it because technology has changed things. Plus, of course, travel is a lot more difficult than it used to be. Or they maybe traveled 30, 40, 50 years ago when they were young, and they had to rely on paper maps. They had to rely on long-distance payphones to contact people. And so it was a lot more cumbersome. You didn't have a great selection of hostels or hotels. You know, so they were sleeping on park benches and, and parks and everything. But now when someone's 50, 60 years old, they can't do that anymore. And I've stayed, stayed in a lot of hostels, but I'm not going to camp anymore because I'm just not, do, not doing it anymore. But I've stayed in some pretty crappy little rat holes. Uh, and I've stayed in some really nice places too. That's just the that's just the luck of the draw sometimes with Airbnb and hotels. Yep, that's that's a there's a lot of points that I want to talk on. Uh, what you just mentioned, right? Let's start at the beginning though, because you were saying up until even the forties, you weren't exactly like into traveling, or that did not appeal to you. What do you think? Because you, you did mention that at the age of sixty, you kind of realized that you had to reinvent yourself. But what do you think during that period? What was it that happened? Is that a key event that made you start thinking about traveling being one of the options to go for? And back then, did you have any expectations on what you hope to get out of traveling? Like, were you trying to rediscover yourself or discover the world? Or were you inspired by your friend that you were talking about? That is an awesome question. And it's a very deep question because um, when you reach a certain age and anyone who's listening or watching this, whatever age they are, they always wonder about the future. And when you reach a certain age, you realize there's a lot more time behind you than there is ahead of you. And I realized that I had never seen the world. I mean, I went to Italy that one time. And so when I went to, uh, when I went to Spain and I went to Portugal, I saw that the people in Europe live a different quality of life. They lived to enjoy themselves. They take six weeks holiday. They sit out and have coffee for hours on end and they socialize and they visit with each other. In America, people are rush, rush. It's all driven by the dollar. I've known so many people who have accrued vacation time that they never took because they feel if they take a vacation, their job is at jeopardy or when they come back, they're going to have all the stuff to catch up on. And so people don't live and enjoy life. Now, granted, there's always exceptions to that rule. But when I came to Europe and I realized how close the countries were together, it's like in the United States, you have 50 states and in Europe and a lot of parts of the world, the countries are as big as our states. So you don't have to travel very far to visit two or three or four countries, which means you're seeing a variety of cultures, new currency, new foods. I'm in Greece right now, and we had spent nine months in Turkey. Uh, we actually had residency there. Ooh. And these countries run into each other. 
but yet the food is so different. The culture is so different. You know, Turkey, of course, is the, the bridge between Asia and Europe, and it has aspects of both. It's a, it's a Muslim country, of course, and it's like you don't have to travel very far to really get a, um, uh, an, an insight to the different people in the world and how they live. So when I realized that I was old enough to get Social Security and have a pension, and I realized it was so much cheaper for me to live outside the U.S. than inside the U.S., and I lived in California, which is one of the most expensive places to live. Um, we live, my wife and I live for a fraction, probably one third to 40% of what we spent in California. So we can live comfortably. We don't have to worry about looking at how much things are on the menu. Uh, we don't have to, you know, the only things that are really expensive are travel. You know, when we have travel days, uh, that's obviously the biggest expense, but we don't do a lot of touristy things. We are not really tourists. We are travelers. And in my website and in hundreds and hundreds of people that I talk to, tourists go to a destination. They try to cram in as many things as they can during however long a period they have. And then they leave and they have memories and pictures. Whereas a tourist goes someplace, they'll stay for usually two weeks, four weeks, however long they, their timetable allows or however long their visa allows. And they embrace and they become part of the culture. And I think they have a much better sense of how people live in, in Greece or in Turkey or in Singapore or in Malaysia or any other country that people choose to go to. Yeah, I, I definitely agree that Turkey and Greece are like two of the better countries if you are looking to, to eat something. In Europe, those are definitely the countries that are offering a lot of a diverse range of cuisine because like you say, Turkey is almost like the middle ground between two continents of which so most of their food actually has a lot of like variations to it. And this is something that I find very interesting when diving into the food culture of a certain place. Yeah. So when you started, and I definitely want to touch on the travel part, but when you first started <laughs> like traveling and and you're mentioning you guys decided to sell everything. So basically yeah. you first started going to travel on like shorter trips, so-called, right? And into Europe and you discover the culture that's relatively different from what you were used to. Right. And then now you guys are taking the leap to take a like a long trip, like almost like a nomadic lifestyle. What was the biggest challenge in the transition uh, looking back? Well, to be honest with you, part of the challenge we have is as Americans, we are limited to staying within what they call the Schengen zone, which incorporates 28 countries. We're limited to 90 days within a six month period. So when we first left, we asked ourselves, where do we want to go? And we had spent quite a bit of time in Spain. So we decided on Valencia, Spain. And we liked Italy because we had both been to Italy before. And so we said, all right, so let's stay 45 days in Spain. Let's say 45 days in Italy. That takes up our whole 90-day period. And then we have to get out of the EU. Where do we go then? And I had never really learned or studied much about Croatia, but that's where we decided to go. So we finished up our 90 days, and uh, we liked the 45-day period. You know, that was kind of like the theme of our travels through Travel Younger, learning to travel the world six weeks at a time. Because in six weeks, you really have a good sense of the area. You're there long enough that you can take side trips to different places, assuming that they have mass transit and you have transportation. Um, but yet it's not so long that it's kind of like, okay, I'm getting bored of this place. It's time to move on. Although sometimes when we are there for six weeks, we do. We both get a little bit restless and we both have a similar mindset like that. So, you know, we went to Croatia for, for 45 days and then we had an opportunity to travel through Eastern Europe because we had a URL pass. So over a very, very tight period of about six or eight weeks, we crammed in about seven or eight different countries, which was really <laughs> too much uh, because we're talking every three or four days, we're having to figure out where we're going, where we're staying, how we're getting there. And finally, we got to Romania and said, hey, you know what? Let's chill. So we chilled for about three weeks and we loved Romania. Um, I had occasion to go back to the United States for about a month. And then my wife, then girlfriend, went back to Croatia again because she was able to go back in. 
And then we came back to Europe. And then in January 1st of 2020, we went to your part of the world because neither one of us had never been to Asia. So we got a very inexpensive flight from Athens to Singapore on New Year's Day of 2020. And so that was our first introduction to Asia. And uh, we spent two months there. And that, of course, was a whole mind trip in itself because Asia is so different than America, which is so different than Europe. And, uh, and so we kind of continued on from there. And then, of course, COVID hit. We got stuck in Mexico. We went there supposedly for two weeks, ended up staying for a year and a half. And finally, a little over a year ago, we were able to get out and we were able to travel more freely. And we came back to Europe. My mother being Hungarian, Europe is very comfortable for me. And so now we're in Athens and we're going to be leaving Greece in about a month. And we're going to the country of Albania, which mm -hmm. is a place we have always wanted to go there. Incredibly inexpensive, man. Incredibly inexpensive. And that's a big, you know, we don't go to Stockholm. We don't go to London. We don't go to Paris. We don't go to these very expensive cosmopolitan cities because, to be honest with you, I don't like big crowds. I don't like big cities. I like something that's about a quarter million, maybe half a million people. And so we go someplace. We hopefully find a place that's close to restaurants and coffee shops. And then we kind of uh, start exploring from there. Nice, nice. Yeah, I, I definitely agree that I think I've spoke a lot about this with other guests on the podcast that Balkans is a severely underrated destination that a lot of people should definitely go. And when I first went, I didn't I didn't know what the Balkans was or like I didn't know what to expect. The only reason I I decided to go that route was that I like to go to places which are not basically the hot spots that people always go, right? So I went there, went to, I started in Athens as well. And then I was looking at like, so surrounding the area, what are the names of countries that like, I barely heard before, you know? So I just right. went to go to all those weird places. And even then, only, I, I only discovered certain countries that I've never known, known of until when I was there, like places like Kosovo, or even like Transnistria in the border of like, right. you know, like Romania, Moldova, right. all these places are like, they have very interesting stories that, that, I think coming from almost like a first world country or something, you probably won't hear as much about, right? So those were those are really interesting places. And you mentioned Croatia being one of the places that um in Croatia they call it the Schengen Shuffle. Where I <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> it's, anymore, it's one of the closest destinations to Schengen. Yeah, not anymore. So yeah, that, that's something to for the audience to really take note because Croatia is basically moving into the EU and changing their currency to the Euros. Yeah. So yeah. my expectation is that Croatia is probably going to become more expensive to travel. Yeah, and... I'm not happy about that. I'm not happy about that at all. <laughs> that was one and of I... our that was one of our safe zones, you know, to get out of the EU to bounce over to Croatia for 90 days and then you know go back to Europe. Now it's like, oh crap, now where? I know it's, it, it was for a lot of people, I assume, and and I, what I'm seeing is that I think a lot of the Balkan countries obviously want to go into the EU because yes, I think economically for them they feel that it makes sense. So. If we are looking at Croatia as an, as an example, it means that the rest of yeah. the countries are also going to become more expensive. Yes, so I always, true enough. I always, yeah, so I always tell people that Balkans is actually one of the time-sensitive destinations that you want to try and go as soon as possible. Whereas like countries that are already hot spots, I think you can afford to wait a bit more to go and travel because obviously they will always be there, right? And it's always crowded. And you um, know, you bring up, if, if I can jump in, you bring up a good yep. point about the Balkans because from a historical perspective, they are some of the newest countries in the entire world. Because, you know, 25, 30 years ago, it was all part of Yugoslavia back when, yep. you know, the, uh, the Soviets were still ruling that part of the world. And then, of course, a lot of history, a lot of violence, a lot of death, a lot of turmoil, a lot of changes. And so now you have all these countries that you're right. Most people don't even know what the hell is San Marino? Where is Montenegro? Where is this? Where is that? And so these countries are still um, not as capitalistic, <coughs> pardon me, as a lot of places, not as expensive. They also are probably not as sophisticated. They're not as driven towards tourism 
Uh, I always looked at Croatia as being probably the most advanced of the former Yugoslavian countries as far as they've embraced capitalism. English is very prevalent there, especially in the under 30 crowd, whereas in other countries, they're still kind of coming up to speed. And it might take a couple of more decades before uh, they all kind of advance to that level of, I'm going to call it sophistication, which has its good side and it has its bad side, man. Yeah, actually, you brought up a very good point about um, the conflict history of these countries being relatively new, right? Because they used to be yeah. former Yugoslavia. One of the things that really captivated me about Balkans is that for me personally, like Sarajevo, which is the capital of Bosnia, um, mm -hmm. was a very special, a very memorable place. Not because, I mean, the, the landscape was nice and everything, but what really struck me was that all the guides that I spoke to, like if I go to free walking tours or I did take a paid tour with a guide that brings me to the region, right? Is that these people have first-hand experience of war and conflict. Oh, so, yes. So they are not guides that are speaking of academia history. They're not talking about, okay, this is what I learned in school and blah, blah, blah. They are talking about their real world experience. Or like They even have like, I remember one of the, uh, the, the guys showing me like a scar on his hand saying like how he, he got the scar from a shrapnel from a bullet that was right. uh, edge in the building. And yeah. when you look at some of the buildings, you can see still see the bullet holes like relatively fresh. So that right. was what's really interesting. And I remember so many stories from the trip just because when they speak about it, it's so genuine compared to like, I mean, yes. granted they're not, not that the other guys are bad, but when you're right. speaking from a first-hand experience, obviously the storytelling is a, a lot more real in that sense. Yeah. And, you know, as we speak right now, we've got all that stuff going on, uh, you know, with Russia and the Ukraine. These people are going to have amazing stories because, as you said, it's not history to them. It's their life experiences. I'm 68 years old, but I've never been through war. But when I go to Vietnam, I feel the energy of people who fought there from the United States, who fought for, for, for South Vietnam and everything. Whereas so many other countries, it's like they haven't seen conflict in a long, long time. But people being people, unfortunately, warfare is not very far away, and you know, both historically and from a standpoint, if it could happen again. Yep, definitely. And, and I'd like to get your perspective on this point as a traveler who is like on, on the older side of life. And I, I yeah. do think that it might appeal to you more than, say, the younger travelers. But I'm not sure, right? Like, I, start, I started to realize that as I travel nowadays, the... If I ever go for a tour, I actually really like looking at tours that talk about societal issues or issues with the country present or in the past versus going to attractions. Um, one example being that, and I can't remember the, the tour group's name, but in Hong Kong, so Hong Kong is obviously a beautiful city, metropolitan, great food, a lot of tourist attractions to see. But the best tour that I've been in Hong Kong was this guide that that was bringing us to not just the local places, but throughout the tour, he was never talking about like the history of this place or not as much. He was talking about this issue with Hong Kong's current economy in terms of things like the lack of living spaces or the or what a lot of us know know to known to the world as like very cramped flats for families to stay in. You know, right. all these kind of things. So he brought us even to like a like so-called a slum, although like in Hong Kong, you can't really call it a slum, but it's like cardboard settlements that were set up for people to like stay in and stuff sure. like that. They started making it very interesting and memorable because I think those are things that are a bit closer to heart, like when you see it in real life. Plus, I think, I think you probably experience it that as you travel longer, attractions no longer make as much sense as things that are more perspective and human societal issues. Yeah, that's 100% true. I mean, a lot of times when people travel, they go to the Disney worlds and they go to, you know, the, the real glitzy things. I mean, don't get me wrong. 
I still get my, my heart still flutters when I look at the Acropolis up there um, or when I go to Turkey and see some of these amazing amphitheaters that are 2000 years old. For me personally, I'm very enamored with what I call ancient history, because when I went to when I went to Italy for the first time and we lived in a town, a town called Tivoli, which is about uh, 20 miles east of Rome. And this town itself is 600 years older than Rome. The town itself is, was, was, was over 7,000 years old. And I remember so many times when I would just stand somewhere and I thought, how many hundreds, how many thousands of people have stood on the same grass, the same dirt that I'm standing on right now? And what are their stories? And did they sleep here? Did they eat here? Did they make love here? Did they have, did they have war here? It's like, you know, it really kind of, <laughs> the bad side is it makes us feel relatively insignificant. When we look at ourselves in today's world, we have a population of however many billions of people and we're relatively insignificant. But when we go back over the vast you know, history of time, the many millennia, millenniums, um, and you realize you know, how many people have lived and all the different things that they do, it's kind of like, it really makes you appreciate your life, Rex. It really makes you appreciate your life. And when I started traveling, um, it's kind of like, you know what? I want to inspire other people, not just baby boomers, but I think primarily baby boomers because when people reach the age of 50, a lot of times they think, oh, it's too late. I can't do that anymore, which is bullshit. You know, or when they reach 60 and they think, oh, you know, I can't afford to do that, which is also bullshit. Or they think it's too difficult, whereas, as you acknowledge, your cell phone is the best travel device ever invented in history because everything is at your fingertips. You know, you've got Ubers and Airbnbs and translation and currency and all those various things like that. But, you know, what happens is that what I so admire about the younger generation is that you're fearless. You'll go places you know, you'll go out to the woods, you'll go out to the swamp, you'll go out to the jungles, and, you know, you don't care. You know, sometimes it's naivety because you don't know what's out there, whereas people who are older, they're just lazy. They're kind of like, you know what, oh, I can't do that anymore. I don't want to deal with bugs. I don't want to deal with hot weather. I don't want to – and, and you know what, I am guilty of that. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to be a hypocrite here. My wife and I, we don't want to go to someplace that's just fucking uncomfortable. That's all there is to it. We don't want to sleep on the ground. We don't want to, you know, we don't mind glamping, but we're not going to camp somewhere. We're actually going to be doing a safari in February in Tanzania. And now she's going back and she's going back and forth questioning, what about mosquitoes? What about humidity? What about this? What about that? And I'm like, you know what? How many people go on safaris? This is an opportunity. I've been working with this guy since 2019. We're putting together 10 people. I said, how many people get a chance to go on a safari and see all these things? And it's kind of like she has to do it, right? Even though it's way outside of her comfort zone. So what I have found and what she has found is that our comfort zone has hugely expanded. I mean, I'm a motorcycle rider. And when we were in Romania back in 2019, I rented a good-sized BMW and we had it for about 10 days. And we explored one of the most magnificent or actually several of the most magnificent roads in Europe. And I created a friendship with this gentleman. And I said, you know what? When we come back to Europe, I would like to rent a motorcycle for a longer period of time for a less amount of money. I can't afford 80 euros a day. And so when we came back to Europe, I opened up a conversation. And so I rented a small BMW motorcycle from him for six months. We just took it back like a week ago. And uh, my wife and I left southern Turkey, Antalya, Turkey. And for 88 days, we were on the road, man. We were on the road. We went all the way up the coast of Turkey. We spent 47 days in Turkey. And then I did, uh, we did 31 days in northern Greece. And I was working with the travel industry up there doing a tour of what they call the urban centers. And then I took the bike back through, through uh, uh, Bulgaria and Romania. And so that is hugely out of our ballpark because 35 different hotels, 35 different beds that we slept in over a three-month period, um, that's strenuous packing up that son of a bitch every couple of days and, you know, strapping everything on to make sure it fits and everything. Um, but you know what, when I look back on, on what we just finished 
the memories I have, the education. I'm now writing a review of everything for for the websites and all that. But uh, you know, it's like the world is so big, the world is so amazing. And for people who just want to sit on their asses and watch television, you know, more power to you if that's what you want to do. But you know, you, you, we never know how much time God's given us here. You know, how many days, weeks, months, years. And it's kind of like I wish that I had taken my mom's suggestion decades ago and traveled with her to Hungary. But as it is, people ask us, you know, when are you coming home? And the answer is, we're not. We're not going to live in the U.S. anymore. Don't want to. Uh, and how long? How long will you keep doing it? Well, we'll keep doing it as long as we're healthy. As long as we got places to go and you know places that we're able to go with you know Schengen regulation and all that. Uh, we're just going to keep on going and. Hopefully, when we get into 70, 72, 74, we'll hopefully inspire other people to say, well, you know what? If those idiots can do it, I can do it too. <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting when you talk about like stretching the comfort zone. And I definitely think that travel helps you to do that. And as you mentioned, I think sometimes the trip itself or a certain portion of the trip itself might not be easy or it might be more uncomfortable. I've done like um, one of the stories I've always spoke about is a hike that I did with a couple of my friends in like the, the southernmost part of the world in uh, Puerto Williams, which is in Chile, and the hike was extremely difficult. Like, like I and I also like sleep and I bang my head onto the tree trunk and black like crazy. And during the hike, to be honest, it was pretty miserable because we we were not well prepared. Let's just call it that way. And the weather was a bit shit because it was already near the the end season, which means the weather was changing, right? And when right. in Patagonia, when the weather changes, it's a whole different freaking environment, right? And so, so that was that was a trip that was. In the middle, it was miserable. There were times I was like, yes. right, fuck, did I do this? Like, this is crazy. Right, right. But then now looking back and with one of my friends that when we completed the hike, it's definitely a memory that we will always have in our minds because, I mean, when else can you get to do that? And especially physical things like this, I'm personally always concerned, like, I might not be as healthy when I'm older or things like that, you know? So these Absolutely. Kind of are very, very, very dear to me. So, so you spoke about, um, can I, can I, can I say something for yes, a second here? For sure. All right. So you bring up a really good point about our minds, our, our minds, our brains are just amazing, amazing things because when we have the vision of hindsight, when we look at what happened, things are almost never as bad as they were at the time. And sometimes they're better than what they really were. We went back to the United States just a few months ago and we had to go through London and we had to go from one airport, Gatwick Airport, to Heathrow Airport. So we had all kinds of complications going on because that's when the airport industry was you know, really in a mess right now. And we spent not one, but two nights on the floor of the airport, once at Gatwick and uh, once at um, another oh, matter of fact, twice at Gatwick. Within a, within a, within a, within a couple of weeks, we had to spend the night on the floor and it was horrible. It was miserable. But what a great story it is. Oh, let me tell you about the time that we spent the night sleeping on the floor at Gatwick Airport in London. It's like, how many people can go, oh, yeah, I can relate to that. Not very many. Most people are going to go, you did what? You slept on the floor at the airport in Gatwick? It's like, so same thing with you with your trip to Patagonia. You suffered. You were cold. You were this, you were that. But now when you look back, it's like, wow, what an awesome story. It makes you a much more interesting person. Yeah, it's the, it's the crazy stuff that always generates the best stories. <laughs> right. That's definitely right. true. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I, I want to, and this might be in relation to what I'm going to ask you, because you did mention that, um, you know, a lot of the elder generations are, it's a bit of an inner show in the sense that, you know, they might want to start traveling, but then they are just too lazy or something like that. Or like maybe they are fearful of, you know, the preparation and things like that. So yeah, for you yeah. yourself, what do you think is a good motivator, you know, to to get your ass off the couch and do it? If, if someone really has like the intention to do it, but has been procrastinating due to a multitude of reasons and factors, you know. I'll, I'll give you the biggest, uh, the biggest motivator. It's death. Mm. It's death. Because so many people, 
look back and they think of coulda, woulda, shoulda, uh, whether it be past relationships, whether it be job opportunities, whether it be mistakes they made with family relationships or kids or parents or travel opportunities that they didn't take. Uh, so when, when you reach a certain age and when you realize the realities of the fact that you might only have 20 years left, it's like, well, shit, if I'm going to do this. And that's, that's exactly the conversation that Kathleen and I had. When we went to Spain and Portugal, this was back in 2018, so I was 64 at the time. And I said to her, I said, you know what, if I, if I puss out here, if I wimp out and 10 years from now, I look back and I think, damn, we had the opportunity to do this, that, the next thing. And I was too much of a chicken. I would have such remorse over that. And so it's kind of like, what's the worst thing that can happen? So when you face the reality of, of our longevity and our health, because I'm 68 and fortunately I'm in good health, she's in good health, but I know people in their fifties who have had heart attacks. People can have an accident. They can break a leg. People can have an automobile accident, they can get hurt, they can lose a leg, they can, you know, have a brain injury. There's so many things that can happen that we have to appreciate every day that you have. You know, now I don't know what's your age, but I'm gonna assume that you're probably in your twenties. Is that correct? I mean early thirties. Early thirties. Well you look muzzle tough. You look good for your age. So <laughs> here's you. what's nice here's what's nice about here's what's nice about youth. You think it lasts forever. You think it lasts forever. I mean when I was in my twenties I was a swinging single guy and you know I I, I did a lot of dating and you know, did a lot of travel throughout the United States and everything. And I thought, oh, I'm always going to be young. And I would go to the gym and I'd pump up and I'd do this. Now I go to the gym and I can work as hard as I want. And I don't have the same pump that I used to have. I don't have the same energy that I used to have. You know, I can't climb stairs. We went to Angkor Wat over in Cambodia, which you've probably been there or know about it. You know, you can climb all these ruins that are thousands of years old and that takes some exertion. And so you can't be in a wheelchair doing that. You can't be in a, in a, in a brace doing that. So, you know, for people who are facing the reality of their life and how much time they have left, and I tell people, you don't have to jump in with both feet, people. You don't have to jump in with both feet. If you have a house, just leave it sit empty for a month. Go somewhere for a month. Or if you want to commit to a year, rent it out for a year. Go to several different places. Some people make the mistake of saying, oh, I want to go to Spain or I want to go to Italy. Those are probably the two big places that Americans or a lot of people in the world want to go to because they've been so romanticized. And so they go to Spain or they go to Italy and they say, oh, I'm going to live here. And they never look around. It's like, Jesus Christ, come on now. There's a lot of different world out there. I mean, or they go to this really beautiful vintage in Italy and they say, I want to live here. Well, Italy is a big country that's got mountains, it's got oceans, it's got this, it's got that. And so I always tell people, don't rush into things. Don't be impetuous. You don't have to buy anything at all. We have no desire to buy anything because we don't want to be tied down. We've been homeowners over half of our life and I don't want to do that anymore. I'd rather have an Airbnb, which we have right here. We drop off our stuff. I've got electricity, Wi-Fi, utilities all paid for. It's a fraction of the price of what I would be paying in the United States. And, you know, I don't have any responsibilities. And that's that's the way to do it so that you can enjoy life instead of taking care of a house. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Here's a call to action to all the listeners out there, right? If you are, you have been thinking about traveling, but you're concerned about, I'm not just talking about the boomers, right? If you're thinking about traveling, but you're concerned about work, you're concerned about other things, think about it. If you were to die tomorrow, are you going to regret oh, yeah. not going on that yeah. trip? If you are, this is the time to really rethink it and just take action. And as Norm said, there is no requirement to go on like a crazy ass long trip or anything like that. Just Great. start start small, test it out. If it works, then slowly, progressively, progressively, maybe transit to a longer lifestyle. And if that's what you what you want, right? Like maybe you try and you just decided that hey, actually this is not for me. But at least you try and you and you solve that regret in the sense because that is, I think regret is the worst thing on your deathbed, right? So that is actually the point of it. 
And I want to speak to your generation, to the millennials who are still single. You know, you know, when someone's in their 20s, that's the time to experience these things because one, you have the benefit of youth and energy and maybe you're with someone, a significant other, but you haven't had children yet. That's, that's a life-changing moment because, I mean, I know people, I know a lot of nomads who travel with their kids and I think it's a great education for kids because culturally, culturally it just opens them up to so many different, uh, different um, you know, po populations and everything. But for people who are in their 20s, do it while you're young, because especially if you can create an online business. I mean, back when I was in my 20s and 30s, there was no such thing as Internet. You could, you know, you, if you go overseas, you got to find a job somewhere and, you know, and they don't hire foreigners, of course, because you have to be a resident or citizen of the country. But today I know lots of people. You probably know lots of people. You're probably monetizing your podcast. And so, you know, if you can create an income stream before you get tied down with obligations. And what's nice is it doesn't take a lot of money. I mean, in the United States, if you're making less than $3,000 a month, you're at the poverty level. But as, mm -hmm. a, as a digital nomad, if you're making $3,000 a month, you can pretty much live anywhere very comfortably. We do it for less than that. And so that's what's nice is the money goes a lot further, especially when you tone down your expectations. You don't have to live in a hotel with room service or concierge because you don't have a car. You know, it's kind of like you just travel very light. I became a minimalist when I went through a divorce after 27 years and it's like, I don't want to have anything. I don't absolutely have to. So basically, we have right now uh, two backpacks, two good size backpacks, 4850 liter, and two smaller backpacks. And right now, that's all we have. We have some mm -hmm. stuff left behind in Turkey that you know we can go back to when we want and everything. But for the most part, we are 100% mobile. And as long as we aren't going to somewhere that's like really cold for cold winter weathers, um, we can go anywhere we want at the, at the drop of a hat. It's mm -hmm. a very freeing feeling. I, I definitely agree when you say, and that's why I say it's not just to the boomers, because even though if you, even though you're young, you might be in your 20s or something, and like you say, you, when you're young, you think youth lasts forever. But there are things that I've done in my 20, like young 20s that I might not even want to do today, because I think first, maybe it's the loss of sense of adventure, or it might be that you've grown too comfortable with certain things. It might also be that your body's no longer able to cope with like more intense stress so I, I always bring the example of like my time in India I love India I always say that that is a country that everyone should visit at least once because you will be so enlightened from the culture shock and everything that happens there and I simply love the time I spent there in my in my early 20s but there are some things that I think about it and I'm not sure if I will ever do it again like if I'm good if I will go were to go back to India these days you know like taking like a third class train train cabin whereby you're just squeezing with people and then like sand flying into your face and those kind of stuff. Right. Like it was fun then. Like at that time of my life, that was fun. But if you ask me now, like, will you go and do it again? I'll be like, hmm, I'm not too sure if I'm able to cope with that anymore. There's so much more considerations that you're thinking about that you'll never think about when you're 20s and you're able to enjoy like you know, that says, a, that, that says a lot about your maturity because you sound a lot more mature than someone who's in your young 30s. We have talked about India more times than probably any single country in the entire world. Because we hear from people who want to go to India. We hear, we hear how life-changing it is. And when we, see, when we see the videos, when we see the life they have over there, it's like, we can't do it. We can't do it. I mean, Africa is going to be a real stretch for my wife because, you know, sometimes seeing people who live in poverty, even though they're happy because they don't realize what they don't have, they don't miss it. Uh, that's challenging for people. We have such compassionate hearts and everything. And again, dealing with the fluctuations of temperature, dealing with the dirty water, dealing with, you know, all kinds of things like that. You know, you bring up a really good point. There are some places. And so as we have our conversations now at the age of 68 and 69, it's kind of like, you know what, man, we aren't going to go anywhere. We don't want to go. 
we don't, it's not a matter of checking off boxes anymore. I'm at 40 countries right now. She's at 40 countries right now. So there's another dozen or so that are like, I got to get there. But it used to be that I want to get to as many as I can because I think it's a cool thing, you know, bragging rights and all that. But now it's like, that doesn't mean anything anymore. Now it's kind of like, there's places I want to go because I want to go. I want to go to the Nordic countries like Sweden and Denmark and, and you know, up there because it, the beauty is magnificent. But I'm, I'm a wimp when it comes to cold weather. So I got to go just in that sweet spot, you know. <laughs> I, lived in South, I lived in Southern California for 40 years. So when it gets below a certain temperature, it's like, fuck that. I don't want to do that I anymore. totally understand. I'm the same. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the Northern Lights is definitely a bucket list for me that I've not done. Like yeah. That. So messy, I feel. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, so, we did a very we did a very cool thing, and you, you went to you went to Chile. We couldn't get to Chile because of COVID, but we went to Peru, and we actually stayed at a hotel that was attached to the side of a mountain at eleven thousand oh, feet elevation. We did we did one, one of the pods. Yeah, it's we did in one the of Cusco the pods. Valley, right? Yes, yes, yes. Just outside of That's Machu Picchu. Cool. And that cool. was that. That was like a. I did. You know what I did? I did a GoFundMe campaign because it was so friggin' expensive. I did a. I did a GoFundMe campaign. I reached out to my friends and I said, Hey, you know what, guys? I've got a chance to do a once in a lifetime thing, but it's very pricey for our you know, retirement budget. My wife was embarrassed. She was like, oh my God, I can't believe you're doing this. I said, look, we've got friends. We need $775 for a couple of nights. I had in 12 hours, we had it funded. I mean, one nice. person, one person gave us half of that. And they said, you know what? I'm a, cons I'm a consultant in the vaping industry. And they said, you know what? For years, you have been there. You've helped the industry. You've been a great guide and mentor for the industry. And so if I can help you accomplish what you're doing. And it's like when you realize how people want you to succeed, they want you to have fun. And as a traveler, you probably go through that balancing act where when you talk about what you're doing, you don't want to sound like you're bragging, right? Because some people are sitting there saying, oh, that Rex, he's, where is he now? It's like, oh, that son of a bitch. He's doing all those things. He's just showing off. And it's like, they're just jealous because they don't have the guts to do it. And so you realize that your friends change over the years. The people who really love you and appreciate you and respect what you do, uh, they'll stick with you and they'll support what you're doing, man. Mm, yeah, that, that's for sure. I think that's very interesting because that experience in itself is super cool that you're talking about. I, I was thinking about doing it. Um, after my trip to Manchu Picchu and Inca Trails and I was looking at it but the booking itself is, is also so difficult to get like you have to book way in advance in order to be able to get it and for the listeners that's basically like there's three pods hanging off right at the side of this this flat cliff and you have to climb up uh, almost like rock climbing kind of stuff but of course you, are, you have the safety harness and all but it still looks insane when I look at videos of people doing it to be honest I was like not 100% sure if I when I will be able to do it as well but you basically stay at the floating pod for like a night or two nights. And then I think when you when you come down, you're zip lining down all the way, right? Across different Well, so so there's actually there used to be only one company that did it, but now there's several companies that did it. So we oh. went to a company that had just opened. We were there in September of last year, September of 2021, and they had just opened like maybe a month or two earlier. So getting in was easy. We didn't have to do the zip lining thing because we stayed in a dome. We stayed in a dome that was perched on top of a rock. So we didn't have to, they had, they had both kinds. They had the ones that were attached to the side yep. and they had the ones that were a dome. And we want to do the dome because dude, we were looking at the lights oh, and stars, see everything. The everything. Whereas some of the ones that are attached to the wall, they have a jacuzzi tub in there. I mean, these, these it's, held, <laughs> it's held on, it's held on by 16 cables that can hold an airplane. So they're very, very safe, but you know, it's a very cold because it's at a very high elevation and you know what Peru and what Chile is like. It's like, it's friggin' cold up there. Uh, you know, when you, when, no matter what time of year you go, it's always going to be chilly. Yeah, you've done your yeah. share. How many, how many countries have you been to? It sounds like you've done your share in a short period of time, man. Probably 60 plus, I, I think. I don't That's count awesome. it specifically, but yeah, around Good that, for you. That zone. Good for you. Yeah. So I've been traveling like almost since young as well, although it's not like um, it's not like me solo traveling. But of course, my parents back then, they bring me around Asia and stuff. 
And of course, then after that, I started traveling myself almost since university days. I was telling a lot of listeners that if you are someone, and we talk about budget, right? Like traveling, of course, sometimes take a lot, a bit of money. And if you are a student, you might not have it. Right. One of the best way to leverage uh, school resources is to basically travel, right? Like some of these programs are subsidized. It could be for summer school. It could be for Oh, school. hell yeah. And most of the time, the, the faculties are willing to offer like some form of subsidies for it. Right. Especially if you reach out to them and then you can get to, you know, see the world and also maybe get some credits off of your trip as well. And why not? Yeah. So that's Absolutely. definitely the start. Yeah. 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 Uh, I want to touch a bit on what you mentioned just now about co and everything, right? So when you started traveling, two things. What were challenges that you foresee would happen? And did those happen as well as what are those that you did not foresee happening but became a challenge? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, you know, probably one of the biggest things that people ask us about is healthcare and insurance. Mm -hmm. um, because we always think we're going to live forever. And there was a couple of times when Kathleen had to go into the hospital because um, she had she had an attack of what they call vertigo. And this was in mm -hmm. Lisbon, Portugal. She had an attack of vertigo. We had just done a really amazing hike uh, the day before, and we didn't stay hydrated. And so we were exhausted. And so she had an attack of vertigo. She had to be taken to the hospital via an ambulance. And uh, she was in the, um, in the emergency ward for about three or four hours. They hydrated her. They let her go with some drugs and everything. And then for the next day or two, she just got rested. And that cost all of 106 euros, 106 euros. Wait, was so, this in Peru? No, this was in Lisbon, Portugal. This was oh, in okay. Portugal. And, and so when you look at the cost of something like that happening in the U.S., it's ridiculous, plus the paperwork that's involved and insurance that's involved and what have you. So I, I think one of the things that we thought about, but you don't know really how to, know how to plan, is what do you do in the event of a medical emergency? Uh, she had COVID. She got COVID in Thailand the second week of January of 2020 before anyone knew what it was. She went to the hospital in, in uh, Chiang Mai, and she was there for a couple hours, and they did nasal swabs and everything, and it's like they let her go. And they never told us what it was, and they were basically trying to keep it very on the down low. And then we found out later that that was one of the very first hotspots in Thailand that got, got COVID hit. And so, uh, you know, that was something we hadn't anticipated, but it's something you, you learn to deal with. But, you know, aside from the fact that we don't want to be spending any time in cold weather, we're Mediterranean people. Southern California, where we lived, just south of Los Angeles, is what they would call the Mediterranean Belt. So anything in our mind from Croatia down to Turkey in this part of the world, and then if we go in your part of the world, uh, I want to go back to Singapore for sure. I want to go to Malaysia. I want to go to the Philippines. I want to check them out. Um, you know, we've talked about Japan. We've talked about China. Uh, the culture shock might be a little bit much because obviously it's a total different world from, a, you know, the Western world that we were raised in. And again, the people who are younger, they can go with that flow. But people who are older, their minds are more stuck. And so mm -hmm. things are more uncomfortable for them than it would be for someone who's just kind of like, yeah, I'll eat that. I don't care. Show me a picture. I'll eat it. <laughs> do, do you still feel that way because like obviously this is also something that i assume stretches as you travel more like the adaptability of it the more you do it the more kind of of course the health yes. is a consideration but yes that aside is okay got it got it and what, yeah. what do you guys do with health insurance and stuff then uh for you guys What's well that? in the united in the united states uh, they have a pension called social security which i got when i turned 62 and then they have a medical plan called medicare which you are obligated to take once you hit 65 so if, I, if, God forbid, something really severe happened, we just need to go back to the U.S. But what's nice, we had a situation in Mexico where she had to go into the hospital. 
and Medicare does have an emergency reimbursement plan. And so we spent like, you know, $400 and Medicare reimbursed us for it. And so that was cool. But for the most part, we just, you know, I, I live day to day. I'm a go with the flow type of guy. I, I don't get high highs. I don't get low lows. I just kind of like, you know what, I'm chilling. I'm liking where we are right now. Where do we want to go? You know, we, we kind of have the next uh, next six or eight months planned in advance. We're going to be here in this part of the world till the first of the year. Then we've got about a 45 day gap to fill. And then February 15th to February 25th, we're going to be doing the safari in, uh, in Tanzania. And then we aren't quite sure what we want to do. We might go to your neck of the woods, Southeast Asia, or we might go back to Turkey. So we're still kind of figuring things like that out. Although that is the time of year to go up north, because mm. if you're going to go, if you're going to go into the, the northern latitudes, you got to do it in like May before it gets busy and expensive and before it gets, uh, you know, gets, gets more crowded. Mm. But it also depends if you are trying to see the northern lights. If you're trying to see the northern yeah. lights, then you've got to go through the coldest period. Yeah. yeah so that's, that's the sort of thing to think about. Uh, yeah. Um, definitely the insurance thing is important to think about. I think for a yeah. lot of listeners, um, Yes, we are encouraging travel, but one thing I always say is that you should probably make sure you have enough money to go back home regardless of what happened. That's what I always yeah. say, like, yeah, all about YOLO and everything, but make sure when you travel, just be responsible enough for your loved ones and everything there. Make sure if anything happens, you have enough sufficient money or whatever backup to be able to get yourself back to where you can get proper care and treatment just in case anything happens, right? That's that's great advice, my friend. That's great advice. And again, you're, you're wiser than your years because you've been around for a while. And so you've seen young kids on the street begging for money who ran out of money. And now they don't have any way to get home or maybe they don't have the support of a family or, or relatives or what have you. And now they're like, they're homeless. And that's a pretty shitty place to be no matter where in the world you are. That, that is one of the craziest stuff. And I think that has gotten quite a bit of criticism from uh, the travel industry in terms of even the travel community being like, so you are like basking. Some of them are basking on the streets. And the issue yeah. is that when they are basking on the streets, they are competing with the locals who are also trying to make a living and, and yes. who really needs it because that's where they are staying, right? And then, yes. but you, travel is always a privilege, I would say. So you have to be conscious of like what you're doing is not disrespectful to the local culture or like affecting the local life negatively. Of course, there are definitely some inherent negative side effects of travel. Like we talk about, you know, people or nomads coming into a city and causing like price increases, those kind of stuff, yes. But there are certain things that are just way out of range when you're talking about like you're basking on the streets and competing with a local who is genuinely needs the money to live their daily yeah. life, right? Yeah, so that's, that's a really good point. I never, I never, I, to be honest with you, I've seen a lot of non-natives doing exactly that same thing and I respect them for having the courage to do that, but I never even looked at it from that perspective. That's a very insightful thing that you are, competing with the people who live there who need the money worse than you do yeah so so that is always where i see it. but of course like i said uh and i feel agree with you and this is where travel really offers different points of view at it right and yes i do think that being able to to go and travel and adapt to the scenario when you're young is of course a point of learning right like being able to make your own living even in such a dire situation is good but sometimes you also got to look at different perspectives of it and that's where I think when what travel really brings for me is always being able to see things from multiple perspectives and then of course determining uh which is my my perspective that I want to go for or to agree with. Um but like you say, there's always very different angles to a certain scenario. And that's what's interesting about travel for me as well. So I have a question for you. It's a personal question, if I may. So mm -hmm. you, you 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 have 20 more countries or so than I have. Where haven't you been that is like you really want to go? Uh, when I have so I have the Northern Lights that I definitely want to do. So and that okay. also in. By the way, have you have you have you been to Iceland? 
No, not yet. So Iceland is one right, of so them. Go to Iceland to go. Iceland is a visually stunning country. Very expensive, but visually stunning. I was there twice, and one time was in April, so I missed the Northern Lights time, but it was fucking cold in April. <laughs> so, so the thing about Iceland for me is always that, like, I have to do it in a group because it, it well, like, of course, it's more fun if you drive yourself, right? And if you're yes. going to drive yourself, a, a solo driver does not make sense in terms of the expense, right? It's always yes. better to have, like, at least two or three or four people to share a, a, a Jeep or something like that to go into, you know, the whole circle of it. So that is where it's getting tricky, where you have to try and plan such that you can get your friends so to go together. So keep my contact information. If you decide you want to, if you, if you decide you want to want to drive the ring road around Iceland and everything, you let me know when you want to do that. Um, I'm open to that. Oh, sounds good. By the way, I can't drive, so you'll be, so I anyone who's coming with me will be driving. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like the I'm like the dude that like can't do You're shit. You're the passenger. Huh? Yeah, I always tell everyone we'll that. You, when... We'll give you shotgun. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah, and uh, apart from that, uh, basically the Arctic Circle, I'm very interested. The other uh, portion that I really want to do is Africa. I yeah. think like that is so untouched, and and I've seen because I know a friend, a traveler that basically the dude that hide with me in the southernmost part, and so he has like um friends in Africa when he traveled there, and I know one of our mutual friend went there with the local, and it was a very different experience. Like. Yes, he attended safari and stuff, but it was not just that. Like you really get deeper into the local community, and that is yeah. what I think is very interesting. And I have a friend who is there right now that is, uh, basically trying to settle down there because like they feel like that's a better place for the kids to grow up because it's oh, closer good. to nature and stuff. Yes, and so I it's really definitely like drawing a lot of my, uh, attraction. I want to check it out. Good for you. I certainly encourage you to do so. Yeah, yeah. But but I also feel like, for example, I think Asia and like Central Asia, Southeast Asia has a lot of undiscovered locations that yeah. it's it's always the issue. For me, it's always the grass is greener on the other side issue. I think it is for most people, like you tend to want to explore somewhere far rather than right. somewhere close to you. So, yeah. so that's why like when people come to Asia and they find like, hey, there's this Asian ethnic, like you know, the Vietnamese triangular head and yeah, all yeah, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like I look at it, I'm like, yeah, this is like some Asian thing. But I guess it's the same like when someone here goes to Peru and you yeah. see those alpaca sweaters and stuff like that, you know, it's right. the same thing. Yeah. So well, Asia Asia is a world in itself. I mean, you you know it because this is part of your home. Just like the United States, even though the United States is one country, it's like a whole uh checkerboard of different backgrounds and histories, and everything. Asia to me is just fascinating because you got everything from Japan to China to Thailand to you know to to Malaysia to Singapore and everything. It's like it is so big geographically and so many different ethnicities within a relatively short distance and everything. Uh it's common, you know, ancient history, I guess, if you go back far enough, but you know, so so different in, in different topography and different weathers and different things like that. That to me is almost intimidating to me, to be honest with you. It's, it's a little bit because it is overwhelming to me, and it's so far in from my Western standpoint. That That's very true. And, and I always say that Asia, and even if you don't look at the whole of Asia, because that's so diverse, even if, if you look just within Southeast Asia, the crazy thing is that even though we are a cluster of countries that are so close to each other, the language is different. The culture yes. is different. Even yes. some of the food are diverse, diversely different. And back then, when we look at it from a business perspective, there was always a... A proposition that Southeast Asia or the greater Southeast Asia is the next big market. But the issue is that it's not that easy to penetrate because every country speaks a different language. If you are yes. talking about, for example, Latin America, at least right. Spanish gets you there, right? If you talk about that's the Balkans, true. That's true. Slavic yeah. language gets you there. But if you go to Southeast right. Asia, no, you gotta like know the local <laughs> language. That's crazy. That's hard. No Rosetta Stone. 
No Rosetta <laughs> Stone, no, no universal language that covers all bases, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, if you have to put it in one language, it's probably English. But again, not everyone speaks English within Southeast Asia. I, I feel very lucky, you know, I, I feel very lucky that English is as universal as it is because we have been to so many different countries. And in Mexico, we were stuck there for a year and a half and did a very, you know, half-assed job of trying to learn Spanish. And, and that's kind of, I'm kind of like, I don't really have the affinity for it. I don't really have the mindset to do it. And it's just not as important to me because I fall back on the ease of, you know, English is available almost everywhere. You can point, you can look at menus, you can use Google Translate and everything. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, it, it's, it's great for people who want to learn and who can learn different languages. But I think if you can speak English and French and Spanish, I think you can cover a huge amount of the world. Uh, and Chinese would be great as well, because obviously in the Southeast Asia, that's probably the predominant language. Is that, would that be a fact or in your neck of the woods, Chinese? Uh, Chinese will only be useful in... China and Taiwan, I would say. I don't think that's it, huh? I don't think it'll be that. Maybe some parts of Malaysia, uh, you will mm. use it in Singapore. Obviously, you can use it if you are speaking to a Chinese person. But right. like myself, uh, so I, I I have English, I have Mandarin. Um, I speak a bit of Spanish enough to survive. But the next okay. language that is on my map, if I were ever to pick up a, another language, would be French. Yeah. Um, mainly because the West of Africa, you can't survive without French. You probably have yes. to have French. Yeah. Otherwise, yes. or unless you speak the local language, which I, yes. I don't think that's going to be easy to learn. So that's, that would be my next target language if I were to pick up one. Well, so far, the only place that we've been to in Africa is Tunisia. And I had no idea that French was as predominant as it was. I mean, English was very good. I mean, we, we, we were there for about maybe a week and a half or so and didn't have any language issues at all. And you know, it's strange. I'm going to address something that people are maybe fearful of. You can forget all the warnings that the embassies put out there of don't go here and don't go there because of danger, because most of the stuff is all BS. It's like there's so, you know, I'm an American. I don't know how many people that you that follow you are American, but every country probably has a list of recommended places that they don't suggest you go to because it's, quote unquote, too dangerous. You know, Tunisia is one of those countries. We found the Tunisian people lovely. They wanted to learn as much about us as we wanted to learn about them. They spoke English. The young people were very accommodating and everything. And, you know, we never had any fear about theft or terrorism. And, you know, you got to be smart. You don't want to go to a battlefront where there's warfare going on or to a place where there's some type of active, active epidemic going on or something like that. And so that's another thing that stops people from, from, from traveling. It's like people mm -hmm. hear these quote unquote stories. Oh, don't go to Greece because it's got pickpockets and don't go here because it's got that. It's like, all right, you just got to be smart about it, people. You just got to be careful. That's all. And you just got to take a little bit of risk. I mean, people don't want to go to the United States because of mass shootings and people in the United States never think twice about it. Uh, that's actually a very good point. I, I got to say, <laughs> having, having been to the U.S. myself, I don't exactly feel that safe in the U.S., to be honest, because... Well, I've only been to the major cities like San Francisco and like New York and stuff like that. One is obviously I'm always a bit uh, in consideration that people are allowed to carry firearms. Yeah. And just need one angry dude that went out, goes out of his mind and then oh, yeah. shit happens. So that's one. And oh, yeah. My experience has been that like walking the after evenings in, in like the cities, there are always like a bit of like dodgy people walking around. So I was like, uh, this place don't feel as safe as some of the places that I think people would assume are might be more dangerous than the US. Like I was pleasantly surprised that Croatia was super safe in the sense that I've yeah. never heard that Croatia was super safe, but I didn't expect it to be dangerous either. But when I was there, the feedback that I was getting from people was insane, like how safe it was. It was always like yep. they were talking about, yeah, I let my kids just go out at night by themselves or run oh, yeah. alley or anything. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I, I do know that it's not like super dangerous, but I didn't expect like that level of confidence in the security and safety there. 
Well, there's 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 two reasons why that is, and so and believe it or not, Turkey is like that too. Maybe not Istanbul because it's so big, but we lived in Antalya, Turkey, and there's two reasons why a lot of countries are safer than you realize. One, no guns. In many countries, guns are forbidden, or if you have one, you better have a damn good reason for having it. And two, it's because of their 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 history, their religious background. Like for instance, in Croatia, when we first got there, we talked to some people and said, "So, how is crime around here?" Said. There really isn't any because we watch out for ourselves. If we find out that some stupid teenager is robbing houses, we'll find out about it and we'll go beat the shit out of them and we will take care of our own. Or in, or in Turkey, it's like there's been several times where I have left my, my money, my, my money clip behind. We were in Turkey just about two months ago and I went into a shop to get some nuts and I'm pulling out my credit card and everything and I left my stuff there and I'm walking out on the street and I'm like, oh crap, where's my wallet? Within a couple of seconds, this kid comes out, this teenager comes out and he said, sir, you left your, your, your money clip here. My money clip and my credit card. I'm like, wow, how awesome is that? I wanted to go back and give him a little thank you. Know? He said, no, thank you very much. And because to them, that is so anti-Islam. That is so, I mean, that, that's a sin to them. And so they, they take that to their heart. You know, a lot of people are, you know, they, they don't do things against religion because they think it's a thing to do. But in, in some faiths, it's really part of their, their core structure. And it's like, no, they're not going to do anything to upset the big guy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I definitely agree that I've always said this, that you don't just rely on the media, the news media to determine your perception of a country because the news media likes to report the dangerous stuff the bad Absolutely. things because that's what catches attention so for their yes. business they have to do that right so don't well like listen to the media so be like like listen to it but find an alternative perspective like speak to people who have been to those countries or like go go on travel blogs or like to read about experiences of people who have been there and just open up your mind to like a potential possible alternative which is most likely part of the reality yes there are dangerous parts but then there are also a lot of good in other countries that if you open your mind to it, you will actually discover it, right? Like you say, and I mean, like the whole Islamic Muslim thing, I, I mean, we don't have to elaborate. The bad side, obviously, is always portrayed in the media. Oh, yeah, for sure. But there they are get, some parts of the religion. Yeah, they get a very bad rap for it, but they are actually very hospitable people. Like the, 100%. And generous. Also, oh, my God. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I'd be, we'd be walking by a restaurant and someone would be out there eating and we're like looking at it. And, you know, the guy says, would you like a bite? I mean, one guy basically said, sit down, I want to give you a bite. He grabs, he gets a fork from the waiter and says, here, I want you to try it. I mean, people in Tunisia did the same thing on the ferry from Italy to Tunisia. It's like people are so giving and so generous, even when they don't have anything, that it, uh, it just it warms your heart to realize how, how wonderful the majority of the world is. Far more people are great with kind hearts and great intentions than have bad intentions. You know, that's just fact of life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So as we conclude, let me ask you one more question first. So how do you guys actually usually determine where's your next destination? What, what are some wow. factors that you think about? Wow, awesome question. Uh, probably the number one is weather. <laughs> it's weather. Yeah. When we got back to Europe last year, we came to Croatia. We were there for about 45 days. And here it was getting to be October. And it's like, hmm, winter's around the corner. Where do we want to go? And so we said, well, we can go back to Sicily, which uh, we were there before. And we love Sicily. We could go back to Greece, which we were there during December. And we like that. And I'm like, you know, look how big Turkey is. Turkey has a huge coastline. And so I saw the picture of Antalya, Turkey. And I saw the picture of the waterfall that flows into the ocean. I'm like, that's where we're going. And so weather is a huge, huge factor. So we have learned how to travel during what we call the shoulder season. 
this time of year in fall and in spring are awesome times to go. Summer, you have to be mindful of the heat. You have to be mindful of the crowds when everyone's on holiday. And you have to be mindful of the expenses because prices go up at a lot of the popular destinations. And then, of course, in wintertime, which is right around the corner, uh, we want to stay where it's warm. So we are here in Greece um, for until the, from the middle of November till the end of the year. We're going to uh, Albania and the temperatures there stay relatively moderate, doesn't go to freezing. And then in January until the middle of February until the safari will be somewhere south. And then we'll probably spend the spring somewhere in between. So that is probably the biggest factor. The big, biggest factor is what is the weather, what is the crowd like, and what is the expense like? Because as much as we like Turkey, we do not want to go back to Antalya during the summer because people talk about how bloody hot it is and how expensive it is. And both those things are huge turnoffs to me. Yes, I, I definitely agree. Like I always say, if you have the flexibility of time, you yes. can save a lot, not just in travel, but in life in general. If you're able to circumvent where people have to be doing things and do things when they when they do, when they're not doing it that's where you get the cheaper prices the most local experiences and you know i want to add something that's very particular if you have flexibility when we went from athens to singapore i used google flights and so we looked at google flights and we looked at the calendar and it's like x number of dollars all the way across and then suddenly there's a dip on january 1st and Ooh, the january 1st January 1st. The January 1st dip from Athens to Singapore was under $500 per person. And the rest of the time, it was probably double that. So we had the flexibility and we didn't care about where we spent New Year's. I mean, we were basically in the plane when midnight happened on New Year's Day. And so when you have the flexibility, you look at the dates because you're going to see ups and downs and ups and downs because that's the way airlines are. They're very inconsistent. So if you have flexibility of where you're going to go, we look in advance and we normally try to plan out at least 30 to as much as 90 days in advance. And if you can stay out 90 days in advance and if you book Airbnbs or something like that, if you stay for a month or more, you're normally going to get anywhere from a, a 20% to as much as a 50% break on price. Yeah. And so we haven't been able to take advantage of that because we've been doing things a little bit more last minute than normal. But uh, as soon as after the first of the year, we're going to get back into a consistent habit of kind of knowing in advance between three and six months where we want to go and we'll book it. And then that way we'll get the choice of best places and best prices. Gotcha. Yeah, that's a that's a very good tip. Uh, and I was talking to it with one of another OG tra traveler about like using Google Maps to basically figure out and if you're flexible on destinations or like dates, that's a big advantage, especially if I yes. think about Europe, whereby land transportation is infrastructure is so convenient, you right. could be flying into a, a more major hub and then maybe taking a train down to wherever destination that you actually want to go to. And that would be way cheaper than maybe flying in direct to some place which yeah. doesn't have as good air connection. Right. So that's that's definitely something to take note of for anyone who's planning. Yeah. What you're doing and what I'm doing and what other travel writers and bloggers and, and podcasters are doing are as invaluable because you don't know this stuff in advance. You learn by doing. You learn by doing it wrong. You know, it's like once you find out, it's like, oh, shit, I'm not going to do that again. Now I'm going to listen to this guy because, you know, Rack says, here's what you should do. Or Norm says, here's what you should do. I mean, I constantly get emails from people who are basically asking for advice. And it's kind of like I love helping people because people help us. You know, we might be in some particular country and they might say, oh, you need to go to such and such. And so we might go to that place that they recommended and we never heard of it before. And we end up having a really lovely time because someone says, yeah, you need to go there while you're in the country. Mm. Yeah, I think hyper local, what I call it term is as hyper local knowledge is some of the best knowledge you can get. And that's why uh, I love doing free walking tours because at the end of the tour, I'll bug the guide. I'll be like, where do you go after work with your friends to eat? You know, like I don't want the touristic spots, but what are the spots you guys go to? And you'll find a lot of hidden gems from these people. 
because they will give you the knowledge that you know most tourists might not know about. Right. I hear you. Okay. Then. Cool. So let's conclude with a few quick fire <laughs> questions. Uh, All right. Where's your favorite travel destination so far? Probably the number one question I get from everybody across the board. And for a long time, it was Croatia. Uh, Turkey is very close primarily because it's so beautiful. The coastline is gorgeous and it's so affordable. So I'm, I'm still giving the nod to Croatia as number one. Mm. Turkey, the, the, the big thing about Turkey for me is that it's so huge. And because yeah. it's so big and, and because it cuts the, the continents, the landscape and the things that you can see together with the amount of culture and history there is just never ending. Like, I don't think you can ever finish discovering Turkey. That's the thing. 100% true, man. 100% true. Yeah, I'm definitely looking to go back again. Maybe now is a good time because the lira is like low now. So now oh, your time. dollar goes very, very far. And now's a perfect time because you're just coming into winter and you can get a price that will, that will blow your mind until, until probably June if you wanted to stay. Yeah. Okay, uh, what are three of the most useful items in your travel bag? This is far and away number one, my, uh, okay. my phone, the, you the know, phone. Because, because it's invaluable. And uh, boy, what else besides that? What kind of answer do people give for something like this? I this, mean, it's like, this is surprisingly a question that trips most people up, which yeah, I'm I mean, surprised myself because if anyone asks me, I actually have my answer to you do so what are the three items that you think are invaluable okay so so for me uh and i don't talk about the laptop and the phone because that's obviously like, like the most important stuff correct, right correct uh for me it's a power bank because my phone usually runs out of juice if i try and work or anything on my phone so you mean one bank, of these things yeah one of those things All right. that's super I'll put, I'll put that up there too i'll put that up there too for okay, sure i can't imagine why some of my friends never carry carry it around and their phones run out of battery i'm like what oh, the hell like how, you need a power yeah. bank right yeah. um Number two for me, which might be surprising to a lot of people, is actually dry fit underwear or dry fit boxes. Uh, reason being that they are so... I, I use the Unico brand because they are like soft and... Yeah. yeah. The main thing is that they dry so quickly. So, so the oh, way yeah. I, I usually do it in hostels is that because I don't travel with a lot of stuff. So And I right. usually travel with dry fit uh, shirt yeah. as well. And whenever I go to shower, I'll just quickly do a quick wash of the underwear because yeah. it's so easy to wash and it's dry fit. Yes. And it dries yes. overnight. So it's very easy for you to pack and go and, you know, just use it like very See, quickly. Those are all great answers. And I never think of them as being separate items. I mean, I have three underwear and they're all like that. You know, when I left the United States, I did research about which ones dry so quickly that that wick real fast. And I mean, the only thing we end up washing is underwear and socks and we just wash them in the bathtub or in the sink. We hang them up the next morning, they're dry. And so those are good answers. They're, they're ones that I, I don't really think of as being, I, I think it becomes such a part of our life. I would never travel without my power pack. Um, and I'd certainly never travel without my phone. Um, what, other, what other answers do people come up with that are invaluable? There, there was one that's very interesting is because you know how packing cubes, some people talk about packing cubes being oh, very useful, yeah. which is true. Yeah. But she yeah. had something that was different that's called, I can't remember you what, what, what it was called, but she mentioned it was something that rose up and packs yes. even more com compact. So that uh, was something that uh, people talk about. And there was um, headphones, like good pair of headphones, yeah, uh, sunglasses, hat, yeah. Yeah. yeah, things like that, which, which to be honest, I always feel like... Uh, everyone has a very different answer to it based off their travel yeah. experiences and how yeah. their travel style is like. So that's yeah. why I always like to hear like for different travelers, whether they have something that, you know, you, I discovered mine because when I started rethinking about like what I packed before and thinking like, what are things I will not pack for my next trip? And I definitely will pack like the first few things that go into the bag. I yeah. know it will be these few things. Yeah. Well, you know, fortunately, in today's world, the fabric that we have available and the jackets we have available are so compact 
that you can you can take a, a, a heavy winter jacket and you can roll it up to be about the size of a, a, a small you know piece of bread. I think one of the things I would put there is a small backpack. I have a small backpack by a company called Zomaki. I get it on Amazon mm-hmm. for like $19. And I just roll it up and put it in my bag because that way when I go places, I don't have to carry a big bag. I've always got my small bag. So that I would say is one of the invaluable things because I've gone through like three of them already. Every time I go back to the United States, I pick up another one. Uh, but that's invaluable. Now, my wife likes to watch television at night, so she has a little portable whole thing that holds her cell phone so she, <laughs> can watch, so she can watch her Netflix. And she had a big one that actually fit on her chest, and that thing finally I've broke. Seen that. I've seen that. They must be hard to carry, though, because of the oh, they're shape. Oh, they're a pain to carry. Oh, damn, yeah, I can carry. imagine. Like, the shape is, like, like, this way or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's very interesting. I think I'll just show you another tip here is that for the clothings, um, how you want to pack is basically something that's versatile that you can use for multiple occasions. Yeah, yeah. I really try to get things that can be worn for like both formal and casual. So I have a black jacket that yeah. I always use. Yeah. Like I, it's good for winter because if it's cold, yeah. it will be my second layer. Of course, I have a bigger layer, but that will be my second layer. If I'm going somewhere formal, I'll just wear it. I'll zip it up and then I'll have the flaps coming up. So it looks like there a formal dressing. And at night, so, so one thing that I always do is that, you know how you walk around at night, I was talking about that there's dodgy people walking around. Yeah. And I yeah. realized that the best way to avoid dodgy people is to look dodgy yourself. Oh, hell yeah. No yeah, wearing so, anything expensive, no yeah. rings or nothing. Yeah. So I always like gonna... to wear, I always like to wear all black. And then usually yeah. if I have a hood, I will put up my hood and then I will stuff my hand in my pocket and then I will just walk that way. So all you see is like a, a guy all in black with hands in his jacket, not knowing what he's carrying in his, head, in his hands and then walking. So if you are like a regular person, you probably wouldn't approach this guy. So I realize that if you look dodgy yourself, that's what yes, we say. Yes. So, so I will add something that you probably are familiar with that maybe you didn't think about, and that's a buff. A buff around the neck because you can get a buff for five, ten dollars and mm-hmm. it serves multi-purposes. It keeps your neck warm in the winter. You know, I always wore it on a motorcycle because that, that part is exposed. You can wear it as a bandana. You can do all kinds of different things with it. It's great for winter because you can protect your ears. So I have three buffs and, you know, I just, they take no room. They take up the size of a handkerchief. So those are, I always have a buff with me for sure. Sounds good. Sounds good. Okay. And for our last quick fire question, although that one wasn't that quick, but that was packing is always (laughs) an interesting thing to talk about when talking about travel. So uh, for anyone who is above the age of 80, right? And they are looking to do this, right? But they are concerned about stuff. What would be your one single most important tip to them? Did you say over the age of 18? Over the age of 50. (laughs) Of 50, sorry. The boomers, Uh, basically. What what would be the one thing that they have to consider? I think, as as I said earlier, get over your fear, people. Get over your fear of being too old. Um, you know, be aware of the fact that if you don't do it now, while you are as energetic and as vibrant as you are, you will never be as young as you are at this moment in time. Tomorrow, you're going to be a day older. Next month, you're going to be a month older. Two years from now, you're going to be two years older. And time, unfortunately, happens so much faster than we think. I mean, I remember like yesterday, I was 32 when I got married and I was a young kid and I thought that, oh, I got plenty of time. Well, shit, man, that's, that's half my life ago. And it seems like nothing. So, yeah, I think that I think the reality of our longevity and our health and um, and the world, because things are never going to be as good as they are right now. Yeah, that that's for sure. I definitely agree when you talk about the time thing. I still remember when I was 20 and I was playing tennis with a guy who was 30. And back then he's saying that. And back then I was obviously super active because at like 19, 20, you're at the, almost like the peak of your physical health. And he was talking about yes. how, you know, wow, I remember your time when I was that age and then I could just turn and tweak my knees and everything like at a, in a heartbeat. Whereas oh, yeah. now he has to think about like, oh, maybe I might sprain my knee or some shit. 
And now I'm 30 plus and that feels like a blink of an eye ago. And I'm like, I never broke a bone in my, I never broke, I never broke a bone in my life till I was 32 and I went skiing. I broke my right shoulder and I broke my left wrist. Mm. Two years later, I go out and I skied and I broke my other shoulder. So, I mean, here I still deal with it and I'm very, very lucky. I'm very, very thankful that I have no pain, but it still is an inconvenience. And I yeah. can't do the things that I, I, I've been a bodybuilder. I've been a weightlifter for, you know, for 50 years. And so I always find the gym whenever I go places, if I'm going to be there for more than a couple of weeks. But the truth is, is that I can't lift the way I used to before my body was intact. And so shit happens as you found out. Yeah. That explains your mindset <laughs> when you were just now doing like something like this. I was like, that's a pretty good mindset for someone with Oh, uh, you're very kind. Thank you so much, man. Thank you so much, brother. <laughs> so that explains it. I was like, he must be like a bodybuilder or something. Cool, cool. And so now, if anyone wants to follow your journey, especially sure. get the travel tips you have from your own experiences, yeah. how do they find you? Well, I'm old school, so I'm on Facebook, and you can find me at my name, Norm Bauer, spelled B-O-U-R, or you can go to Travel Younger, uh, which is my Facebook page. Uh, I'm on Instagram a little bit. I'm not on TikTok, uh, not on Twitter very much. So unfortunately, I don't, I don't just feel as comfortable as some of those other things. And anyone who ever has any questions, uh, they can always just contact me via your site. They, my email is ask norm b a s k n o r m the letter b at gmail.com and uh i i thank you i i've had a wonderful time man i mean we've talked for an hour and a half and we could probably talk for another hour and a half you're yeah. a very engaging interviewer and you've got great stories you're a great listener and uh i've i've just enjoyed the hell out of this i've done a lot of interviews over the years and i've been, i've been on your side too as a podcaster and as a videographer and uh this was as, as fluid and as, as fun and as, as holistic as any i could probably have so thank you for this man no, thank you for taking time out. I definitely feel the same way. Like I was talking, I was like, there's so much to talk about that. It's <laughs> yeah. going to take like three, four hours and we might not even finish. But uh, we can always do a second episode like sometime 100%. later, you know, 100%. right? So cool. And I will drop your links for the listeners. The links will be on the website through any medium that you want to contact uh, Contact now. Yeah. He'll be very yeah. happy to chat with you and yeah. give any tips. So thank you, Nom, for coming on today. My pleasure, brother. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to Chat with Nomads. Please remember to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and be sure to share with your friends. Also, we'd love to know what topics you'd like to hear more about. To stay updated on the latest, join us on our mailing list at chatwithnomads.com. You can also find more travel and nomading tips at Nomads Unveiled. That's N-O-M-A-D-S-U-N-V-E-I-L-E-D.com. Start living your dreams today. We'll catch you in the next episode.